It's time again for your Portland Morning Brew. Casual conversations with business, city, and community leaders and influencers. Get to know your neighbors. News, views, and events all centered around our community. Now, here's your host, Troy Holden. Good morning and welcome back to Portland's Morning Brew. This is our Area Chamber of Commerce podcast where we talk to people of interest in the area. And today we are uh, just very happy to have State Senator Farrell Hale with us. And let's look back a little bit. This is a a gentleman who started his career as a pharmacist. He'd been a co-owner of Perkins Drugs, Springfield Drugs, Southside Drugs, Gallatin Drugs, McHale Drugs, Atrium Pharmacy. Uh, He has uh, been serving as chairman of the Tennessee Pharmacy Co-op, a vice chair for the American Pharmacy Cooperative, previously served as a board member of the Sumner County Health Department, a member of the Tennessee Pharmacists Association, and a member of the National Community Pharmacists Association. Now, aside from doing that, he also, since 1975, has owned Hale Farms. That's a cattle farm. It's serving Middle Tennessee, and also a member of the Tennessee Cattlemen's Association and the Tennessee Farm Bureau. And in addition to all of that, being very active in the community with roles as a church elder and a deacon, Sunday school teacher at the Church of Christ, a board member of Christian Towers, a board member of World Christian Broadcasting, Paul Harris, fellow Rotarian, president of the Gallatin Rotary Club at noon and the morning club, leadership Sumner alumnus, president of the Southeast Sumner Community Fire Department, and as an Eagle Scout. My goodness, in 2010, unanimously appointed to the Sumner County Commission to fill the vacant 18th District Senate seat and then elected in 2012, re-elected in 2016, and again in 2020. Good morning. What a list of accolades, Senator Hale. That's just wonderful. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm kind of appalled as you read through that. It sounds (laughs) like a lot. you have to remember this spread out over a number of years and de- in fact, several decades. So it's not right. all at one time. Right. Sure. Sure. But it does show a very never ending commitment to the community and to the area. And I think that is uh, a very impressive thing because, you know, there are some people who may serve on this or that or one or two things, but to, to be able to touch so many different things and get so many different uh, takes on things, did this have a little bit of impact on you wanting to get into this position as a state senator, serving on different boards and being involved in different things? No. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. I had no uh, no intentions of any political ambition. Had mm-hmm. no interest whatsoever. Um, had a lady, Diane Black, was in the state house at the time, and we had become friends working Perkins Drugs, she worked across the street, the hospital and nurse and pharmacists and a lot of communication, got to know one another. And she walked in the store one day and said, uh, I've turned your name into the Republican Party to run for the state Senate. I about fell out. <laughs> I had no interest, terrified of politics, mm-hmm. just was not interested whatsoever. And they just kept coming at me. They couldn't get anybody else, I guess. <laughs> and uh, said, if good people don't do this, who will? And that that right. got me. I will have to say I, I lost the first election. That was back in 2000. And uh, I learned more about myself than anything else during mm-hmm. that race. And uh, it did wet my my taste uh, for 
uh, not the political arena, but for service uh, in the state and right. what could be done. And, and so I began watching and becoming more attuned to what took place. And then when Diane was elected to Congress 10 years later, uh, of course, I got the first phone call. Uh, was not uh, at that time the business was such I really didn't feel like that I could make a run for the special special election, and so. But I did say if the county commission would like for me to serve for the hundred days from when you resign to when the uh, special election takes place, uh, I'll be happy to serve that hundred days. And what I figured out down there is that it's important who's there and you can have a difference. Uh, there's a, And we might go into that a little bit as we get to talking about how the Senate works. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's going to be of interest to a lot of people, and, and I know we have a lot of younger people that listen as well, and I think they need to understand that. If they don't understand how it works, what the sessions are like, what your schedule is like, uh, maybe just talk briefly about that so we can get a better grip on how the mechanics work. Uh, okay, you know. well, okay, let's talk about the mechanics and the Senate and how it works first. And we rely on the committee system. There's about 11 standing committees. I serve on education committee, I'm vice chair of the uh, health and welfare committee. I serve on finance committee and I'm chair of ethics uh, committee. So I uh, serve on Three of those committees meet every week when we're in session. Our session runs from the first full week in January, usually till the first week of May. It's kind of when we get out the last of April, first of May, right in there. And we rely heavily on the committee system. So going back to my story of serving that 100 days, when a bill goes through, um, like this particular bill went through, the health committee, 9-0, that's Democrats and Republicans both voting for it. And then he goes through finance, which uh, that's also bipartisan, 11-0. Uh, when it hits the Senate floor, it's almost a sure thing that that bill's going to pass. So you've had no opposition in committees uh, whatsoever. Um while I was down there during that 100 days, there was a bill that came up, and it had to do with pharmacy. It had to do with pseudoephedrine and methamphetamine and, and that issue. And when that came to the Senate floor, I read that bill, and I thought to myself, this is a bad bill. One, it won't work. Second, it's, it's, it's just a bad bill. And a freshman senator, interim senator, has zero political capital. You know, right. you just, you're there and you get to cast a vote, but you really don't get to speak very much. Well, I asked to speak that morning on the Senate floor. This is in the, in the Senate chamber. Uh, final hearing, final vote on this bill. And I got up and spoke against and explained why it was a bad bill. And the bill wound up the tide turned so greatly against that bill that the bill got pulled and never came back. And that told me it's important who's there and you can have an influence, mm -hmm. uh, but you have to, it could have been, it, that could have been built on something entirely different that I knew nothing about. And I would, could not have spoken to it, but I was in a position to speak on that particular bill. And it made me realize that it's important who's there and you can have an influence so 18 months later, I ran for this office and was elected. 
Awesome. Awesome. I, I, I appreciate the insight on that and how some of that works. I think yeah, that I might is, go uh, a little bit deeper in that. That's on the Senate side. The House side has the same process, except mm-hmm. they have subcommittees of their committees. So it has to have three, go through three different uh, things in that particular case. So, mm-hmm. and then those two have to match up together right. uh, for the bill right. to pass. If the House and Senate doesn't agree, then the bill will fail if you can't come to an agreement. Mm-hmm. And, and if you do come to agreement, then it goes to the governor for him to sign it, and he has the option to sign it or let it become law without his signature, or veto it, which it would come back then to the General Assembly, the House and Senate, and we would re-vote again. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I know this this past week, um, in my line of work, I do uh, do some political work, and I was privileged to uh, for Governor Lee to voice a one-minute TV commercial that's going to be shown here in the state called Yes, Every Kid. It's a really nice uh, education initiative that's coming out, and um, I, I, I'm really pleased to be a part of that. Anytime it's it's anything to help help the kids and, and education, it's great to do. Um, the um, for for some that that may not understand the work schedules, uh, you guys have have certain times that you're in session and certain times that you're out. Uh, so, what's what's the workflow like for you? Uh, well, you know, when we're in session, the regular session, again, it's January till the 1st of May. Mm-hmm. And we'll go in Monday afternoon uh, for a session, for on the floor session. Mm-hmm. Uh, then on Tuesday and Wednesday will be committee hearings where that all these standing committees will hear the bills. There'll be, um, there'll be probably 2,000 bills submitted each year. Now we'll only pay it, we'll pay us less than 200 of those, less than 10 percent. A lot of them are presented to get uh, the discussion going, not necessarily to pass a bill. A lot of them, of course, uh, the best bills come from our constituents that come to us and say, Hey, have you thought about this? This needs to be corrected or done. Mm-hmm. So you'll have the committees that here, and just like the the example I gave, you'll go through, if it's a, a health bill, it'll go through health. If it's education bill, it goes through the education committee. Then if it costs money, there's a dollar figure on it. Then those will go through the finance committee, and then it will go to the floor if it passes. And it takes majority to pass. Mm-hmm. All committees are nine members except finance on the Senate side, which is 11. Uh, and so you go through that process and that takes place on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then Thursday morning, we'll have another session. And as bills are passed out of committee, then they come to that Monday evening session or the Thursday morning session, floor session to be voted on. And we run through anywhere from 20 to 25 bills each session. Wow. Each wow. time that we meet. As far as my personal schedule, my executive secretary will, um, executive assistant will schedule me every 15 minutes. I'll have meetings about every 15 minutes. And that starts Monday morning when I get there, usually about eight o'clock. And the, I get try and get there at seven, eight o'clock each morning, Monday through Thursday. And she'll schedule meetings. Uh, when I'm not in committee or not presenting a bill to a committee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, there's a lot of folks that want to come see you. 
uh, yeah, lot I can of imagine. are good educators. The one thing that's extremely important down there is trust. Mm-hmm. If you lo- lose trust in someone, then there's no reason to meet with them. Uh, when a lobbyist comes in and they're lobbying for a particular issue, one of the things that I almost always ask is, who's opposed to this and why are they opposed? And then the opposition side will come in and you'll ask them the same questions. It'll go, you'll go through that type of stuff again. So mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of the my uh, work schedule. It, it fills up real quick. I can imagine. I can imagine. Now, the, uh, are there uh, anything um, that has gone on this year that maybe people don't know about or some things that maybe have passed that would be good to share or some things maybe coming up that you're hearing talk of? Well, certainly we had the special session, and I think everybody heard a lot about the special session. And uh, on the Senate side, we felt like that uh, most of these bills would wait to the regular session. Uh, there were 114 or so presented, and that's too many to to really delve mm-hmm. into and have testimony. You want to hear from people. You want to have testimony about this. And we felt like that's too many to deal with. So the Senate uh, wanted only to hear what the governor was proposing, and that's what we did. So we listened to just what the governor uh, uh, presented. There were actually seven bills that he presented. One of them we figured out was not needed. Uh, the department could already do what he wanted to do with that. There was one that was a financial um, uh, bill, and we passed that. We passed three other of his bills. So there are only two that that he requested that we did not uh, buy and did not pass uh, on. I had a bill that I've been working on for two or three months. Uh, and it had to do, obviously, with the the covenant shooting, and we were trying to figure out uh, what we could do. Uh, the term red flag certainly came up a lot, and what that amounted to for me, I think, and a lot of my constituents was we're going to bypass due process. We're going to bypass uh, uh, the Constitution in order to do this. And that, I didn't feel like we could do that. The other side, there was another side that wanted to do nothing. I thought that was a mistake. And so I began working on this bill. I talked with law enforcement, including sheriffs and TBI and chief of police, mental health, um, judges, district attorneys, public defenders, anybody that talked with us. And we had a board, had a wall that we, put what takes place now with due process in the court system. And we looked at what was the weak points in this. And so as we worked through that, then we we were able to say, this doesn't fit within this bill or this context. And we came down really with two points out of that. And I'm going to bring those back in the regular session. One was currently uh, there is only um, in a, threat of mass violence that is only a misdemeanor that's just a little more than a parking ticket Mm -hmm. and so it's really limited on how you can deal with these folks the other side of well first on that 
my proposal is to allow a felony to be charged also. We're going to keep the misdemeanor for like kids in school make a, a rash statement. They mean nothing about it. Right. Uh, and law enforcement has discretion now whether to charge or not charge. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to get someone like the Christmas bomber, like the covenant shooter, like someone that's threatening to drive through a parade. Uh, there was a threat made to a school not too very long ago of an individual uh, that was held in Rutherford County Jail for a while. They had to use other charges where they could keep him and evaluate him. Mm-hmm. But what I'm proposing to do is add on a felony that a threat of mass violence it can be charged with a felony that puts it in the court system, law enforcement, uh, district attorney, judges, jury, trial, all that can take place. Mm-hmm. The Another issue that we had that we're addressing is mental health. And mental health has kind of been thrown out there that this is the problem in mass violence. That's not necessarily true. First off, very few people that are diagnosed with a mental health issue are violent, a very small percentage. Uh, I might argue that these violent people that commit these crimes have a mental health issue, but they're not diagnosed that way and might not be even diagnosable. They're just hate-filled, angry, vengeful, uh, and just want to to create chaos. Mm-hmm. And so how do you deal with that person? Mental health is not equipped to deal with them, mm-hmm. but Homeland Security is. And so Homeland Security is already investigating these. So we're putting Homeland Security into this mix of, ha- of bringing these individuals with a felony charge uh, before a judge. Okay. So that's the bill that I, it really is very simple. We're going to make it a, a felony to uh, threaten mass violence against a school, a church in particular, uh, to like a shopping mall, uh, to any place that has 250 more people visited a day. So mm-hmm. we're trying to look at that. Good, good, very good, very good. Um, uh, kind of changing gears, your area of representation being uh, Sumner and Trousdale, if I remember correctly. Um, and, and us, of course, all being here in Sumner, watching the growth, the people coming in, it's astounding. Um, and I know this is sort of off topic probably with state and state Senate, but um, there's been a lot of um, press and a lot of scuttlebutt and talk on social media about the northern part of the county is just not getting the attention it needs and et cetera, et cetera. And I wonder, do you catch some of that feedback at your level, at the state Senate level? Do you have people coming to you with those issues or is that, I know that's probably handled more on the county level, but I just wonder sometimes if that does get escalated up your way or you hear those things or have to, are involved in those things. Absolutely. Especially uh, the water issue comes up uh, a lot. Uh, I have written letters and promoted for infrastructure for um, safe drinking water in Northern Sumner County uh, advocated for grants that would go up there. So yes, that's an example of, of those issues that come to on a state level it's primarily funding. It's mm-hmm. not uh, uh, governing because 
you got your local government, you got your county commission, you got your city council, so you got your school board. That's local. That's mm-hmm. not for me to get involved with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I get involved with is the funding that those entities uh, look for, desire, uh, and certainly residents in the northern Southern County have had an issue about water, Portland in particular, mm-hmm. uh, and Westmoreland, uh, about not only for the rural area, but for the the city of Portland itself. Right, right. It, it, water is a really big issue. And so, yes, I get brought into that. I also get brought into, and brought, that's not really the correct terminology. I, I am invited into the discussion concerning roads, for example, mm-hmm. state mm-hmm. roads in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, while 386 is not northern Sumner County, it is all of Sumner County. It affects uh, all of Sumner County. Mm-hmm. It affects Trousdale County. It affects sure. Westmoreland in that flow of traffic. And so 386, the interchange at 109 and 386 is something that I've advocated for with the department, and that's going forward. And so um, we have to continue addressing those issues. Um, if you don't, everything gets just locked down. Right. And it right. becomes not a very pleasant place to live. Right, right. And there are challenges with growth. I know as Portland's trying to expand and bring more, um, you know, more restaurants in and things like that, they're running into, like you said, the water issues. Uh, I live out in the county between Portland and Westmoreland. I think they've been out here. I, I could I couldn't count on both hands how many times because of this failing water system and they had inherited it and, and it's a it's a huge challenge. There are so many things that people don't realize it on the local level and even on the state level. There's a lot of involvement and things going on and sometimes it takes a little time for everything to come together. But people are working on these issues and that's what I want people to hear. These right. this is not going unheard. You're right. hearing it. Our local people are hearing it, and people are trying to address this and doing everything they can. Um, Absolutely, it is. It's wonderful, and and I can't thank you enough for uh, spending time with us today. I, I do want to give you the opportunity to let everyone know the best way for your constituents to reach out or share concerns or reach out to you. How they can reach you either by email or phone or whatever works best. The email is. Um, Abbreviation for Senator, S-E-N dot Farrell, F-E-R-R-E-L-L dot Hale, H-A-I-L-E, at capital, C-A-P-I-T-O-L dot T-N dot G-O-V. That's a long email. <laughs> but once you, you get it in we'll, once one you, more time. Well, well, once you get it in there one time. Uh, uh, in your into your email system, and you type in S E N, it'll always pop up for you. So That's yeah, right. I'm, and I'll be sure and put that in the notes so people can see that when they they view the podcast, they can uh, look that up and copy and paste it if they need to reach out to you. And uh, I'm just and the, very, phone, the uh, office phone is six one five seven four one nineteen ninety nine. Okay, and Jenny works in the office. She's a research analyst. Uh, and uh, she'll be able to help you in any way that you need. She knows more how to get something accomplished than I do, to be (laughs) honest. Uh, We have lots of constituent requests, issues. Can you help with this? Can you, Mm -hmm. you know, tend care or whatever that might be. There's lots of 
just a whole gamut of issues that consumers have mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, constituents have. And Jenny has really got this down to a science and she can help as well as anyone. Uh, and, but if you need me to bring it to her attention, I certainly be happy to do that. Too. <laughs> you, uh, you fit the epitome of surround yourself with, uh, I always believe this in management, always surround yourself with people just a little bit smarter than you That's are. Right. And, and they'll That's always right. make you Absolutely. look the best. That's right. Absolutely. Senator Hale, thanks again, uh, for joining us. We really enjoyed this. Uh, this was very enlightening and I hope it was good for people who just don't quite understand the connection between local and, and state government and hearing how state government works, the the structure of the committees, the type of things that you guys go through, and how many things are brought to light in every session. I think it was was pretty eye-opening, and I hope people really appreciate that. And again, thank you so much for all of your service for all these years here in Sumner County. Well, thank, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Have a great day to your listeners. Thank you. This was the Portland Morning Brew with Troy Holden. If you'd like to be a guest, reach out to the Portland Chamber of Commerce. We'd love to have you on the podcast. Be sure and visit the Chamber's Facebook page for more information. Thanks for listening, and join us again soon.